0: Welcome to Rocket Man Explorers, where we voyage forth and delve into the world of sci-fi. But wait a minute! Ah, that's better. So this season we're going to be exploring alternate universes. what they are, how dark they could be compared to our regular ones, and just what kind of strange, wondrous and terrible things can be found there. So come and join me on this journey, and we'll all go and find wonder and terror and strangeness together. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rocket Man Explorers. I hope you're all doing well and uh, have all had a lovely week month, year, however long it's been since the last time you listened to us. I'm not judging, as we all know from our time travel things, time is relative anyway. So just uh, glad to have you back with us. Now, today I have a very special guest. Uh, My guest is a woman who wears many hats. She's a director, a musician, and an award-winning and New York Times bestselling author of books and graphic novels for young adults. Uh, She's also written opera librettos, which was awesome, and uh, it was in a band. Uh, Although I hear she likes Star Wars, as do I, you know, we're no judgment here. She is a complete DS9 fanatic, which uh, is great, as we will see, for the purpose of this upcoming episode. So, uh, Cecil Castellucci, uh, thank you for joining me today. Hello. Hi, how are you? My go-to answer to that lately has been as good as can be expected. Uh, What about yourself?
1: That's the same. My answer is the same. I like when you said that, like, time is a construct, because I was just telling my friend yesterday that I think it was yesterday, that like ever since I like came into my house and never left on March 13th, it just feels like one long day. I just keep waiting for tomorrow, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Within like two weeks, I was like, okay, so days mean nothing like time. It just, I, I I was like, maybe it's Thursday, maybe it's Sunday. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I had a new appreciation for my grandparents constantly asking me what day it was when I realized, you know, when that's it. You don't have the structure of uh, a schedule. You just sort of, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, you've been locked up, obviously, along with the rest of us. I see here you were supposed to make an appearance at this year's uh, Comic Arts Festival, but due to, again, yeah, our slow roll apocalypse that's happening, that was clearly cancelled. Do you mind letting me know what were, you, like, what were you promoting there? What were you doing up there? Sure.
1: So I'm the current writer of Batgirl for DC Comics. Um, And I also, um, me and um, I had two graphic novels um, come out this year. One was a memoir called Girl on Film that came out on um, Archaea, which is part of Boom. And Mm -hmm. um, it's about uh, growing up, uh, going to the high school performing arts in New York City, wanting to be the world's greatest filmmaker and completely failing without that. And, (laughs) um, and sort of how we become the artists that we are, that like, we go into art with an intention of doing one thing. Like I really, every choice I made was to become a filmmaker. Yeah. And that's not at all the way that my art life went. Um, obviously I, you know, write comics. Um, Mm -hmm. also my dad is a a neurobiologist. He's, he uh, was at the university of Montreal and his specialty is memory. Um, So mechanics of memory, how we remember and how we forget. So the memoir, when I was writing it, I realized that I would like remember something that I thought I remembered perfectly. And then I would talk to friends that were there, or I would look in my journals and it was wildly different, like the way that I'd written it or the way that someone else told the story. And so uh, part of that, um, the, the graphic novel is about, um, me having a conversation with my dad about the importance of remembering and forgetting and a neuroscience lesson in why we remember and why we forget and how the mechanics of that are. That's so, cool. Yeah, it, it, it's really wonderful. And it's got four artists that I worked with. Um, Vigagnon, uh, John Berg, who's Canadian, uh, Vicky Lita, and Melissa Duffy. And then the other book that I had that just came out in January um, is with Jim Rugg. And it's called The Plain Jane's, and it's about an all-girl guerrilla art group uh, that decides to, um, you know, do art uh, and activism
0: in, in high school. Nice. Awesome. Uh that that's very cool. I love that. Especially the whole thing talking about memory. That's fascinating. Uh you it segues slightly into my second brief question is as you know, so we're located here in Montreal and you said so your father like he's based at University of Montreal, UDM, so does he work in French or is, is he,
1: he he's retired now? Uh, yeah, uh actually I'm I'm French. I'm French Canadian, but I grew up in the States, so I'm the only one in my family who's sort of English first. Um ah, everyone okay. else is Everyone else is French first. <laughs> I'm English yeah. first, but, okay, right um, on. but that's but I but you know I speak both fluently.
0: You don't have our lovely "Bonjour mon nom, et conner, je parle avec un vrai accent québécois" and all that jazz. You're probably no. more refined than that. <laughs> Perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know. I think I've got I've got some kind of accent, but whenever I go to France, everyone's like, "Where are you from?" And I'm like, "I don't know."
0: Yeah, I mean, we all do. I get whenever I encounter people from France, it's more like, "Are you okay?" And then it's, "Where are you from?" But uh, yeah. it amounts to the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and finally, to lead into sort of the purpose of this particular episode, um, you wrote a DS9 short story for Waypoint. So, what uh, what what brought you to doing that, and DS9 in particular? is well, out of all the Star Treks is DS9 sort of a particular favorite.
1: Well, now I got to say I really love Discovery a lot. Mm. Um but yeah, d uh, of old school Star Treks, I think DS9 is my favorite. It's the one that I usually do a rewatch of uh every couple of years, like a full rewatch of like um, right pretty consistently. Um not so much. I mean, season 7 I am always kind of like, you know, doing different things, but um uh, but, you know, but I love it. I think it's because Deep Space Nine stayed in one place. And so you really had time to kind of get to know the characters um, because they weren't sort of going from planet to planet. I think there was something uh, sort of more grounded about it. Um, Very much so. Yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, IDW was uh, doing Waypoint it a small uh, Star Trek stories. And um, they asked if I wanted to pitch and. So I pitched a story about Kira uh, called Mother's Walk, and Mm -hmm. um, basically it's a story that um, there's a Bajoran tradition that women used to do, where they would you would have to walk with a mother figure in your family, um, sort of as a rite of passage, and um, and uh, nobody's done it for all this time because um, because you know because of the war. Yeah. And also because women uh, uh, used it as a form of resistance um, during the war, and so they were killed uh, for doing the Mother's Walk. So no one's done it uh, for a long time, and you know you have to do it by a certain time in Mm -hmm. the Jordan religion. And uh, and so Kira is really upset because she's like, I'm not going to get to do this. There are no mother figures that I have or whatever. And everyone on the station figures this out, and they all they all choose to walk with her because you know, they all say, well, I'm a mother in this way to you, or, you know, like, everybody. They've,
0: contributed they've all contributed different yeah, aspects of... Yeah,
1: to her growth as a person, and so they say, well, I can be your mother, and so nice. they, all, they all walk with her on the promenade, and um, I, just talking about it makes me cry, because the timing of it was such that the issue dropped the week of the Women's March uh, in, yeah. 20, in 2017, and so it ended up being like this real sort of very significant and like timely thing that makes me cry every time I read it. Um, And it was great to be able to come up with a, um, you know, because, you know, the Star Trek licensors, they have to approve, you know, what you're adding Mm -hmm. to Canon and they were like, we love it. So that was pretty cool.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, It's funny how many artistic endeavors you hear about for the last few years that sort of have unknowingly become extremely relevant and timely just due to like the extremely strange, as I've been talking about this podcast, the uh, slightly bizarro alternate universe we all find ourselves living in. So, yeah, that's (laughs) it's amazing how often that ends up happening.
1: Yeah, Uh, totally.
0: So speaking of DS9, today we are talking about DS9. We are in fact getting into a Season 7. We are talking, dear listeners, about Season 7, Episode 12, The Emperor's New Cloak. And obviously, as most of you have probably guessed due to the theme of this whole series, we're going back to the Dark Universe, the Star Trek Dark Universe. This is in fact... The last time that we visit here on DS9, we do it quite a bit. DS9 probably goes there, I think, the most out of, well, until Discovery came along. DS9 dealt with the mirror universe probably the most out of any of them. And uh, it really, this one is using alternate universes in, I think, well, it's using it in several ways. But this is the one that I feel leans most towards using it specifically as comedy. In particular with Rom and Rom's understanding of what an alternate universe is supposed to be, I find that's great. He's almost a commentary about the uses of alternate universes in general with his continuous attempting to rectify his basic understanding that everything has to be the opposite of what it is with how things are turning out. In particular by the scene that stands out to me is when he's, when they've been rescued, Brunt has come in and Brunt is absolutely lovely in this universe, which makes sense, that's the opposite but he's now giving them food and rum has made this and everything must be opposite therefore the food that he finds delicious has to be poisoned because that would be the opposite delicious but then that would mean that he was actually not good and so the same so then that wouldn't rectify and his brain just explodes And i find that great it's it's a very comedy explanation of Sort of a very simplistic view of what alternate universes can be. Have you looked much into obviously, especially with uh, you saying that your now new favorite could probably might go to Star Trek Discovery, which mm-hmm. takes a lot of view. It obviously, gets very heavily into the dark universe. So, like, uh, I'm curious as to your whole take on s- sort of Star Trek's view in the dark dark universe, and then in particular, I love like rom's inability to comprehend how something can be how everything isn't exactly opposite how that translates into like the rules of what they've set up as this universe
1: well i think what i think is so interesting about rom is that he's so smart yeah like he's like got this brilliant brain and yet he's so dumb at the same at the same time um and i i i think that that works really really well in this episode i i Sometimes I have problems sometimes with like um how much um Deep Space Nine ended up leaning into the dark universe because yeah it's a lot think, yeah and I think it's more um I think it's one of those things where I, and I don't know this but like I assume that it's just really fun for the actors to like play opposite from their characters because they you know they always have to play this one way and so to me this episode seems like they're just sort of Leaning into having like a whole a whole bunch a whole bunch of fun, um, yeah. You know, with like it, sort of chew- chewing the scenery, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it goes right back to you could see that in the very for in the original series as well. Like all the characters, you know, everyone's having a blast. Um, Sulu and Aher and everyone are just being able to yeah. go absolutely bananas, and that. That must be so much fun. And you are right. the same thing. Like, you know, Michael Dorn gets just to just be an absolute idiot and order everyone around. And Kira gets to, like, vamp it up to 110. Like, yeah, you, you've probably got something there that in a certain point it's just the writers being like, OK, guys, you know, like you've had a rough month here. Go and enjoy yourselves, like do a completely ridiculous episode. But Rom... I find that interesting because I know multiple extremely intelligent people. I used to work at a hospital and I would be dealing with, for example, like, you know, um, uh, orthopedic surgeons, brilliant people in their field, absolutely, like have spent years and years and years in school, genius orthopedic surgeons, but a computer to them was like a box with demons in it that, okay. would, that would cast a hex upon them. Like, it's almost the smarter you are, the more sort of segregated your mind becomes and there's only so much at a certain point you've put so much genius into one particular aspect some things seem to fall that by the wayside and that often seems to be the case with Rub, where he's like he's brilliant at so many things but then that just means there's less room in his head for processing some more basic stuff
1: yeah i mean and he's kind of like that in both universes and yeah. i mean any I, mean, I even though he, it's him in this universe traveling over but I mean like that's sort of his basic that's his that's his base level is always kind of like super genius and kind of dumb at the same time Um, and I think it's interesting because Quark and Rom don't have a counterpart in this universe you mm-hmm. know so that they that they're not there um, so that they really get to sort of have a new take on themselves because they don't have to meet themselves or you know like I, I know that there are a lot of ep- there was like a bunch of episodes where like our Kira has to pretend to be dark Kira or whatever, you know, like yeah. that, that kind of stuff. Like there's not, you know, this is sort of like a simple straight ahead um, adventure. And I think it's kind of, um, you know, kind of like sad for Quark as well, who um, I think is sort of struggling, um, you know, with his crush on Ezri and like, mm-hmm. um, and uh, sort of seeing the, the sort of multiple the, the multiplicity of people, you know, the, the, the multitudes of people and that, you know, in the end, he does kind of do something good for that Dax uh, or that Esri in, um in that universe by sort of like helping her to find her conscience, you know? Um, yeah. And that's like the most loving thing that he can do, even though he's not going to get the girl, you know, um in the end. I did yeah, I- kind of didn't like the, the, um, the sort of male gazey stuff on the on the lesbian stuff like bothered me a little bit especially that last moment with Lita, the the way that they're you know it, it was sort of used as a, a joke rather than as like a um a sort of genuine thing and that kind of bummed me out especially because like Dax is part of such a groundbreaking thing in in the Star Trek in yeah, Nine, D- D- you know? Dax
0: brings up all sorts of things about gender fluidity and yeah. sexuality and things like that. I mean, it was very sort of 90s sitcom-y, their whole take on yeah. it in this particular yeah. one of just the womp womp, like. Yeah. And that is unfortunate.
1: And I wonder I if mean, it's just very boy because, like, you know, I just recently watched that documentary, the Deep Space Nine documentary, and yes. I realized that it's like, oh, every, like pretty much every person in that room is like a man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Allison, I was like, it all makes sense, you know.
0: Previous to this iteration of the show, we did two seasons in which we talked a lot about sex in Star Trek and uh-huh. this kind of thing came up a lot. Of yeah. the like, yeah, it's often you'd have to give them credit for attempting something right. while but then the execution as you say because almost inevitably the writers room was entirely a bunch of guys, the execution was often like hilariously flawed for that particular reason they, they they had like this one wasn't even that there was no good intentions here said it was it's used primarily as a punchline. but often we would encounter episodes where we'd have to give them like the co-gender in enterprise or even back with Riker with Riker yep. falling in love with a, a non-gendered character and yep. during that we actually found out that Jonathan Frakes uh was upset because he wanted he wanted them to be played by a male actor, not a female actress. He felt that would have been better, but he was ultimately Ooh. overruled. But yes. yes, so there's always an attempt at bringing in different sexualities and such, but as I said, often then runs into the realities of being written entirely by men and also yes. being written for the television situation of like the early to mid-90s, which yes. was not quite as open to to things as obviously we are now.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you can tell, like, I mean, not... I don't, I think in this episode, it's like super male gaze, but like, um, but you can tell that like, they do try things and that they are trying to push out of their own comfort zone. It's just, it becomes really obvious, like looking back 20 years later, you know, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you should have, you should have had some diversity in that room. Like that would have, that would have pushed this, all of this to a million times better because you know you wouldn't have told the story with like one arm and one leg tied behind your back, you know? Yeah, like doing exactly. The best you could in that way. But I love, uh, you know, I actually know Nicole DeBoer who um, played Esri. I know her because I was friends with her ex-husband, and so um okay. so with her here in Los Angeles. So it's always like a treat to watch her because she's got such an innocence. About her, um, w- you know, when she's in the regular Starch, in, in the regular Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun to, even though she um, gains a conscience in this, like, it's really fun to see her kind of like go as dark as she can. Yeah, you know, to go total told to
0: mercenary. Things? Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's great in this, actually. She's because. <sighs> A lot of times I find with their alternate universe things, the characters, I mean, everyone's having a blast, but sometimes the characters can go so extreme, they become like extremely camp. Like, Worf is a great example, like mm-hmm. Emperor Worf in this, or even Garrick. Like, Garrick is such mm-hmm. a status that he just becomes more of a joke. Whereas she, her counterpart in this universe is like a very much cold and mercenary but completely believable yeah. as a character she's not totally. over she's not over the top in any way she just is who she is in the place that she finds herself and in fact yeah. how she acts makes a lot of sense considering what we know of the history of the place that she's in so yeah, yeah she's a lot of fun to watch
1: i would totally agree with what you're saying there i, yeah. I really think that like sh- her character is the one who is the most balanced in this episode she um and I have to say Quark and Rom uh, you know as well like um they feel very grounded and real and um and three-dimensional and I think Esri's dark mirror universe Esri feels very grounded and well-rounded in this and not sort of two-dimensional like Kira and Garrick and um and morph that are kind of played for, for laughs.
0: Yeah. It's, it's as if you use her as the grounded part, and then you can build a more ridiculous thing around her yeah. because she's the one who's holding everything together. The, the totally. Ferengi, are, the Ferengi are grounded. Although I must say, although, it's one of my favorite caveats of Wallace Shawn as the Negus because I just yeah. love Wallace Shawn. I could yeah. listen to him, I could listen to him shout things at people high pitched all day every day. He, yeah. but he's obviously playing it. He's playing it up just for the hell of it as well, so shouting about wanting to escape and such. I mean, he's great, but he's slightly less grounded, but in the best way possible.
1: But the Negus is always like that. I mean, exactly. like, there's not one episode where he's not just like, "Give me the money," you know, like, "Where is the money?" And I think everything that he does makes sense. Like, he's consistent. Yes. Like all the way to the end, where he's just like, "Well, I'm still gonna exploit it. Like, there's a lot of a profit to be made," you know. It's I mean, like, he's
0: he's not wrong either he's not obviously wrong. he's not wrong what he from a purely economic point of view yeah his trip makes a lot of sense him doing it himself when he's sort of a you know him doing it himself isn't the best choice perhaps but his instincts of going there to expand and exploit say yeah they they it's perfectly valid
1: did they know yet at this point that deep space 9 wasn't going to be renewed or like I, I wonder about that because like i wonder because to me it seemed like a sort of like let's take these like characters through the through the looking glass and and just sort of have a lot of fun one last time
0: i'm not sure but i mean i mean i guess a lot would depend on when in the production schedule they filmed this uh if they filmed it very early maybe they didn't if they filmed it later they probably did but uh I would guess probably because you're right. It does seem like a, well, you know, I mean, if we're ending anyways type episode, let's just said, let's just all have a ball and yeah, like have a good time.
1: Like
0: yeah. <laughs> I like to talk about structure and uses of like what alternate universes are used for. Why why writers like to include them in stories because they, they can be used for a variety of um sort of a variety of different effects and yeah this one the dark universe in star trek as a whole obviously is something else entirely that's used for many different things but i think that you may have hit the nail on the head there that this one is really used just almost to have a good time this one is really used just to get in there and have a blast to have everyone be have everyone be a bit silly to have a good time to go out with a bang for and also to completely change the status quo on where this is, I don't know if they were thinking maybe of setting this up for future Star Treks of changing this, which obviously didn't occur since Enterprise ended up taking place far in the past. But they've changed the status quo, the Cardassian-Klingon alliance, the the regent has been taken down, DS9 mm-hmm. and the humans are now back in the Ascendant. They sort of upend the entire apple cart and then go, well, OK, you know, future writers have fun. We've changed it all for you. I, I feel maybe there's a bit of that in this episode yeah. as well.
1: That's a good point. I mean, I think one of the good things about having like a parallel universe or a mirror universe is that it makes us understand the sort of unconscious, the id of uh the characters in the in their real in their real environment, right? We mm-hmm. understand more about Esri than um by knowing her dark side than, you know, but like it, it's sort of a, it's sort of a shortcut to understanding more about the unconscious motives of characters, you know, because mm-hmm. you kind of think that, like, that, like, the mirror universe, uh, it's the opposite of them, but it's, they're still themselves. They're just highlighting different aspects of their of their core personality.
0: It's almost inversing the, the superego and the id. Everyone's exactly. id has been inversed, and everyone's superego has now been completely suppressed.
1: Right. So it's like we can only go back to... Deep Space Nine, and understand a little bit more about all of these characters, right? Quark mm-hmm. is very sweet in there. He does a lot of really good things. Like even though he's still himself, he, you know, he's doing, he's he's behaving not in a way that he would behave in his own universe, but it shows us more about his sort of secret tender heart that he's got, you know, yeah. and um, and that's that's useful for us moving forward because even if they don't all know about it, you know, his his people on in his universe, we the audience know about it. Yeah, and
0: exactly. So
1: it gives us more of an insight to these characters, and especially with someone like Ezri, who we don't really get to know her very well, right? She's only in one season. Um, And I think that they were trying to do a lot of really interesting things with um, Ezra Dax, you know, being so different from um, Jadzia, you know. And so I think that um, that, you know, uh, it helps us to understand a little bit more about her core character and how she's different than Jadzia.
0: Yes, you're right that they clearly had a lot of ideas with her that perhaps, unfortunately, they sort of ran out of time with because she was introduced so late on. Everything that the character of Jadzia had implied, you could now demonstrate even more with Ezri, with having her now become this completely different character. Yeah. And, but alas, uh, alas, was not to be. Yeah. I think if they had
1: been given, like, if there had been more time, like, if Ezri had been there for, like, one or two more years... I think she would have grown to be a fan favorite. I mean, I know she is, you know, but um, yeah. but I mean, it's hard to beat Jetsia because she was there for so many seasons and personally, she's my favorite. But I think that they were really trying to do something very interesting with es- Esri. And I think that they had set up so many great things with the Trill episodes that they'd had before about the many lives that they could have really leaned into that in an interesting way. And I think this episode helps us to understand things that we'll never get to know about Esri because we get to see her mirror universe self.
0: Yeah, and that's that comes right back to the the uses of, you know, various uses of alternate universes. It's always a great way of demonstrating something about a character you didn't know. Either through Quark's yeah. trip of being surrounded by people... Who he's not going to see again, or unlike, so it brings out other sides of him, or just the complete alternate version of your same person. And yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunate because you're right that the the trail episodes and what the concept of the trail and therefore what they could do with there's so many possibilities playing around with yeah. memories. As we're speaking memory with gender with constant understanding, sexuality with all that. It's all it's all great. It's yeah. we had. <laughs> We have a whole, there, an episode we did, we did the episode in which um, Jedzia and Worf go to Ryza. We talk about how Worf essentially becomes the killjoy conservative who's yeah. out there trying to shut the place down, and <laughs> we come off very negatively on Worf and perhaps slightly unfair, but just compared to, uh, I understand their attraction from a certain percent, but the the two characters often seem to be a a bit of a strange choice as the ones that would hook up just but warf simply is always he was written almost a bit too straight maybe as it comes down to time that 26 years ago the idea that, you know, oh, yeah, we need to shut this down with something that was more acceptable. When you watch them now, it's just like, man, Worf's a real asshole. Like, why <laughs> are we, you know, why, man, what is she seeing him? He's just such a dickhead in so many yeah. of these things. But uh she, I you know. mean, yeah, because Jetsia is so
1: fun. I think Esri tries to... You know, and I almost feel like in this episode, like you get to see a little bit of the depth that um Ezri sort of can bring to um, mm-hmm. her Daxness, although I'm not I wasn't really sure. Does she have the worm in in this world? Like
0: I couldn't really tell they never say. But but she does have sort of the markings and such on her. I I think she probably does. But you're right that they never they never explicitly state that she does either way. I don't the,
1: think. Yeah, because at the very beginning he says like Quark says to her like Dax, and she says who's says Dax. Who? Made me think that it's just Ezri, and it's not Ezri Dax.
0: Or the 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 conclusion th- I may have come to is that. Um, because she does have sort of the, the trill sort of makeup going on around her neck somewhat. And I think at some point maybe someone mentions trill, but what I got out of is perhaps she is now here as Ezri with a trill, but it was her previous life or anything like that was not Dax, that things went in such a way um, that it was a completely different set of circumstances that came to her being a trill. It could be. That's another possibility. I
1: felt like it wasn't that wasn't really explained and no I mean, it was to me it would make sense if she didn't have the trill inside. At all. You know what I mean? If it didn't if she didn't have it inside of her, you know?
0: Do we ever in fact meet alternate Dax in any of the previous episodes? I do we do. know
1: I, yeah, I think we did. I think we did meet the previous Daxes in other um in other mirror universes.
0: Huh. So yeah, I wonder I yeah, I'm I wonder like, what happened there.
1: What made you pick this episode? Are you re- are you rewatching in order or
0: what uh, the- no, I, I've, I've been bouncing around for From the various, like this is the only DS9 one we're doing I've gone to other Star Treks For alternate universes and then other um, Media, we talked about Rick and Morty, we're talking about the Buffy episode where uh, Cordelia Wishes Buffy away and goes to alternate uh-huh. Sunnyvale, we're talking about a bunch of them But, well, a couple of reasons On a purely, purely personal level, it's one with Wallace Shawn and I always love him But <laughs> it struck me it struck me as the most ridiculous Of all of them Mm-hmm. Which is what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about them using them using the alternate universe as a more, like, a, most of what we've been discussing have been using them to discuss various serious concepts and very, like, both in terms of conceptual for characters and society. This one, while that still does occur to a degree, as we said, is also out of all of them almost the most where they can just cut loose, everyone can cut loose and just be silly. And I wanted to have our viewers like watch that and showcase that a bit as well, that that's as an equally viable use for a completely different setting as any other. That's sort of why I went with this one.
1: Yeah. And also it's, you know, I mean, they do use a lot of humor, but at the same time, like, like you say, they radically change that universe more so than uh, any of the others. Yeah.
0: They almost gloss over how much has been really accomplished in what they've done in this time by saying, you know, having Worf be fooled and everyone, the negus being silly and Kira just vamping it up even more so than usual. But yeah, they've completely upset the entire status quo and balance. I mean, now, this gets into a lot of geopolitics. How much will the loss of the Regent and Worf's ship actually matter to the fate of an empire? Well, that's right. a bit more geopolitical than perhaps they're willing to get into. In the, uh, while DS9 is probably the most geopolitical of all the Star Treks, they don't have time to do two of those. They had enough time to deal with our own as right. one mainly. But yeah, there's a lot of implications involved in what they've just done. And I mean... While they set up the Terrans very sympathetically in DS9, the whole part of the whole reason why they've all been conquered is up until that point, they were absolute and complete assholes. As Enterprise gloriously brings right back into the table with the two Mirror Mirror episodes of just. Uh, although I'm remembering now they missed the opportunity of the original series to demonstrate that everyone's evil. If they're wearing a sash, I don't think Worf is wearing a sash (laughs) and clearly he should be because if you're wearing a sash, it's terrible. But yeah, the the human humans up until very recently or history there have been by and large, just utterly terrible. So their sudden flip back to ascendancy. You're, it could go many different ways. Yeah, it's
1: really it is it is interesting. To me, also it's like really nice to have a kind of Ferengi point of view um episode where because the Ferengi are so funny in the way that they just go for profit. Like it's just they just move through the universe in such a different way. They're very and straightforward. Yeah. yeah. And so um so it's kind of lovely to like have something be so non-human centric, you know, sort of like from the way that, you know, it's really about the Ferengi. Yeah. Like all of them, right? Like, you know, Brunt, Rom, uh uh Quark and the Grand Nagus. Like it's really it's that it's their story. Yes. And um and I think that that's that's really nice because, you know, sure we get a lot of Quark stories, but Quark is such a great he's such a great character.
0: Mhm. Yeah, um, he's
1: I, I always want more of Quark.
0: Yeah, and you get a lot of Quark stories, but you're right that it's usually Quark in the sort of within the machinery of DS9, how he fits there. This is very much a separate Quark within the machinery of Ferengi and how they operate and what they do there. Although I, I must say, perhaps this is just in view of the 21st century, the blind pursuit of profit over everything else, I feel perhaps is much more relevant now than it was, perhaps much more human now than it was then. But uh, so,
1: yeah, it's a, sometimes it's a little bit like, Oh wait, I know these people. Like,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> like guys, I'm pretty sure that they were a parody of what capitalism was supposed to be. You weren't actually yeah. supposed to ride that all the way to where you actually are. But Hey, you know, anyways, what do I know?
1: uh <laughs> That's really funny, and now I'm gonna cry.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. uh Well, I think I'm looking at my clock here. We're running into time for where we like to keep these. So I think I just like to wrap up. Of well, I have a bad habit on these of saying wrap up and then end up going for another 15 minutes. But I'll say <laughs> it now so that like you know the the gods of time can judge me one way or the other, and we'll see how it goes from there. But. um Speaking just to the listeners for a second, I hope you guys um, watched, everyone who hasn't watched this episode yet, please do so. It's uh, great for a wide variety of reasons. It's another great showcase of storytelling, and even more so, Cecil's brought in some points that I hadn't thought of, of how it's being used for what the alternate universe is being used for, more so than just your basic comedy stylings. So I have a couple more questions for you now. Cecil. where can our listeners find you? Not find you physically listeners stop being creepy don't go and <laughs> I mean, find I her haven't. physically
1: I'm not, I'm, yeah i'm just sitting here like yeah. everyone else, sheltering yeah. in place
0: <laughs> according to statistics at least one of you that's listening right now is a creep so nobody go and find her physically but yeah don't uh, don't, don't come over <laughs> yes but the inter in the in the vast and uh interleaved places of the interwebs where can our listeners find you
1: um well on on the twitter you can find me at miss cecil and on Instagram, I'm Cecil Seaskull, which was my old punk name from uh, my band in Montreal. Nice. Uh, and uh, and then just you know, basically, you can just Google Cecil Castellucci, and uh, and and you'll be able to you'll be able to find me. And like I said, right now, my books that are out are Batgirl, Girl, Girl on Film, The Plain Janes, and actually, um, I also did uh, what I call my Princess Trilogy, which is mm-hmm. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The Little Mermaid and Frozen, which are sort of retellings from the point of view of the princess's graphic novels.
0: Awesome. So there you go, listeners, not bereft of choice. Get in there and find (laughs) any or all of those. I would encourage you to. You're not doing anything else. You're all locked up. So get out there. Go and look them up.
1: (laughs) Well, and I would actually also really highly recommend that you go check out Waypoint, um, not only for the Mother's Walk um, story that I wrote, but just because... It's got great, it's a great anthology series that has um, great little um, sort of uh, uh, little mini stories about all the Star Treks, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And I would also highly recommend uh, Star Trek Year Five, which uh, continues the, um, I didn't write, I have nothing to do with it, but. um, Hey, uh, no worries, recommend it away. If you're you're a big Star Trek fan, um, it's the fifth season of the original series. um, Ah. It's really, really wonderfully done.
0: Yes, yes, I had heard of that, but I have never checked it out. I should do that. It's really
1: great, yeah. Star Trek Year 5. It's out on IDW.
0: Star Trek Year 5. Again, listeners, look it up, you know. You've got time in your hands, hopefully. So get in there. I would like to thank the organizers from the uh, Toronto Comic Arts Festival for uh, putting us in touch with CESA. If you want to know more about TCAF, I just said it, you know what the acronym means, and the work they do, you can visit their website at www.torontocomics.com. That's, again, www.torontocomics.com. And uh, if you like what you're hearing from here, you like what I'm saying, or you know, even if you're just... Moderately okay with what I'm saying. Head on over to rateyourpodcast.com/rocketmantfgc and you know give us a rate. That is the purpose of the website. So get on over there. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rocketmantfgc. Cecil, so thank you very much for joining us again in our lovely own strange alternate universe that we all find ourselves living in. <laughs> thank you for thank you for taking the time to join me all the way from wow. uh, all the way from L.A.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Say hello to Montreal for me. And this was a real pleasure. I always love to talk uh, sci-fi TV anytime, anywhere.
0: <laughs> awesome, excellent. I mean, I love it too. I've been trying to talk as so much as possible for. If, if we ever come up with anything more interesting, we'll, we'll we'll ring you along. See if you'd want to join us. Yeah. But Thank you again, and Absolutely. yeah. Hang in there down in, where, down in the States. Uh, we'll do the same up here. And to all our listeners, yeah, stay safe. Put your masks on or, you know, don't wear a bag over your head. That's a bad idea. But stay safe, everyone. And we'll see you next time.
1: This has been a Two Finger Guns Club production.